0: Part 2, page 152 Sounds The eerie quiet doesn't last Before long the squeals and shrieks and brays and squawks of the animal kingdom crowd the air Terror, confusion, pain From far off comes the wailing of sirens Car alarms blare from the parking lot Now and then people shout Cries for help translate into any language Human or animal, fish or fowl Never want to hear those again Never ever smells. And the smells, like I said, feelings have a scent. I figured I smelled pretty much everything there was to inhale in this big old world, but the smell of sheer terror, of helplessness, of blood, of broken bones, of torn wings, well, turns out there are a lot of smells I never encountered, encountered. Didn't know how lucky I've been. Surveying the Damage I pick my way past the devastation. The tornado has left a random path of misery. The African Avery is gone, simply gone. The kids' farm nearby, untouched, although there's some flustered chickens clucking like all get-out from the safety of their henhouse. I see few people. Hopefully a lot of potential visitors were scared off by the threatening weather. It looks like some of the animals listened to their early warning systems, those little voices inside telling them something bad was coming their way. Quite a few of them seem to have taken cover before the brunt of the storm. Wish I'd paid more attention to my own internal weather man. I pass the penguin viewing window, the one that allows visitors to watch their graceful swimming. Several penguins are underwater swooping and swirling swiveling. Joe, Jim, I call, and they both swim over. Bert okay? I ask. Baby Bert pops his little head out of the water. Hey, Bob, did you know we're having a storm? Yeah, I noticed. All good here, Bob, Joe says. You? Yep. Took a little flight, though. Daddy? Says Bert. Can I fly? In the air? Nope, says Joe. You fly underwater. You're a penguin. Bob flew, and he's a dog. Bob is a very special dog, says Joe, and he gives me a look, a grown-up-just-between-us look that says, we're all right, but what about the others? Baby Sloth. I say goodbye to the penguins and continue on my way. So much has simply vanished. Walls, fences, barriers, netting. The orderly world of the park, with its careful lines defining territory, isn't so defined anymore. Many of the habitats are still entirely intact, but not at all. But not all. What will this place be without fences and walls? You didn't need to watch the Nature Channel to know that certain animals like to eat certain other animals. I passed two squirrel monkeys swinging happily from the children's carousel. A, pink, a pelican watches from her perch on a popcorn stand. I see a camel and a zebra together, looking stunned to be standing side by side. I notice a red lemur, Merlin, on a picnic table. Lemur eyes are always big, if you ask me, but Merlin's eyes look like they're about to pop right out of his head. I make my way through splintered wood and glass shards and approach the gift shop. It's roofless. Stuffed toys are scattered here and there like they tried to make a break for it. An I Love Koala's t-shirt dangles from a tree branch. Around a corner, I see a baby sloth. Sylvia, I think her name is. She's resting in a muddy, plush giraffe. Hey there, I say. She makes a tiny noise. A sloth sob, I guess it is. Let's find your mom and dad. I'm not one for hugging, licking, and such, but I give her a little nudge with my nose. Sylvia somehow manages to grab the giraffe, then looks up at me like she expects to hitch a ride. How the heck do you pick up a baby sloth? It's not exactly part of my job description, and sloths are so, you know, slothy. Carefully, I pick her up by her scruff, the way you do with a puppy. She puts that silly toy in her mouth, and off we go. Take a few minutes, takes a few minutes, but I find her mom, Selma. I deposit Sylvia on a patch of wet grass. How can I thank you, Selma cries. No biggie, I say, and I head on, with fur in my belly and an odd taste of sloth fur in my mouth fear in my belly, excuse me, and the odd taste of sloth fur in my mouth, make no sudden moves. I've ridden around the grounds of the park in Julia's backpack enough to know every inch of the place. I've even chatted with many of the residents, but now everything is topsy-turvy. I keep finding myself in places I don't want to be, like the wolf exhibit. Near the entrance, a sign lies crushed on the ground. and has a picture of a gray wolf with an arrow pointing one way and another arrow arrow with an emperor penguin on it. To my right I see a piece of hay stuck deep in a tree trunk like a pencil in a cupcake. To my left water gushes from a path like ditch, a broken pipe. A boiling sky has settled into a solid blanket of grey, and the rains quieted to a steady drizzle. Still I smell warm bad weather menacing in the distance. Tossed into a bush is a very is a large informational display with a photo of two grey wolves. I don't see any fence or barrier or intact wall and it dawns on me that grumpy wolves and tiny dogs might not make the best of pals especially under trying circumstances just as i start to leave a wolf on the sign seems to move to blink oh he isn't part of the sign he's next to the sign it's chemo hey i answer no answer sudden Something tells me I should hightail it out of here. Something else says, make no sudden moves. I hate it when my brain disagrees with itself. I split the difference, crouching meekly, doing the whole submissive dog thing. Kimu locks eyes, up, locks his gaze on me. I try not to make direct eye contact. A lot of animals find that threatening. But his eyes are mesmerizing, glowing amber, and way too smart. He moves again. Two paws appear. Big paws. Nothing like my feeble, shrimpy feet. These paws are the size of hamburger buns—hamburger buns with lethal claws attached. Mutt versus wolf. I wait for him to launch from his poun- into his pounce. Maybe I have time my- if I time my escape just right. Yeah, sure. In a battle of a Chihuahua mutt versus wolf, even I wouldn't bet on the dog. Do they break your neck before they eat you? That only seems fair. My heart's going, doing this crazy tap dance in my chest, and I wonder if he can hear it. I sneak a peek at him. Strangely, he just keeps staring at me. Quickly, I avert my gaze, those eyes, those chilling, dangerous eyes. It's me, Bob, I say. Kimu says nothing. He's panting hard. Maybe he's disoriented, even hurt. I try to speak again. My voice seems to be hiding somewhere deep in my throat. Another try. Um, Kimu? He blinks. Are you all right? No response. Anyone else hurt? I ask. This time he seems to hear me. I don't know. His voice is a low whisper. Can I help? I ask, really hoping the answer is no. Suzu, I can't find her. All right, then, I say, I'll, uh, I'll take a look. I poke around a bit, careful not to get too close to Kimu. A sour smell pours off him like sweat off a human. I don't, I I don't see her, I say after a few minutes, but I'm sure she's fine, just a little shook up, probably hiding somewhere. He doesn't answer. I should go. I'm, uh, looking for some friends, I say. Is there anything else I can do? He looks up at the ominous skies, if there's an answer waiting there. I don't know, he says. I don't know. I don't know. Gorilla world. I move on. I have to find my friends. Have to. But where am I? I leap over another mangled signpost with bent arrows. One way to Reptileville. One way to Lionland. I pass the mangrove swamp. A manatee pokes up her big head, draped in Spanish moss like a silly wig. Two workers in yellow raincoats trot past me. One has a bloody bandage on his cheek. I need to stop, regroup, cool it, Bob, I tell myself. I'm panicking, not taking in the right data. I try to blot out all the horrible smells, all the awful noise. I concentrate, let my nose do the real work. A whiff of something familiar. Gorilla? It has to be gorilla. Full run now. I cut my back left paw on a shard of glass, trip, fall hard on my nose and cut it too. "'Dripping blood, I carry on. Find them. Find them. Find them.' "'A massive old oak lies on its side at the entrance to Gorilla World. "'Huge, tangled roots grope into the air like frozen snakes. "'And just beyond, where Ivan lives, is nothing but devastation. "'Help us.' "'The stone wall separating Gorilla World and Elephant Odyssey is gone. "'Pieces of both domains mingle. "'An elephant toy here, a gorilla nest there. "'Part of the indoor gorilla space is crumbled to the ground.' i scan the area where ruby and her herd like to hang out nothing no gorillas either out of nowhere the rain picks up coming sideways blinding me the wind howls like a hurt dog this storm isn't over not by a long shot i leap over a pile of cement blocks catch my hurt foot on something sharp yelp keep going ivan i call ruby nothing i get to a slight rise leap onto another overturned tree and try to make sense of the damage Red and blue lights cut through the rain. Police, fire, engines, good. We need all the help we can get. I have taken several lungfuls of the hideous air. It's too wet, too full of conflicting odors, a mishmash of scents I can't decipher, especially with my busted nose. The wind gathers speed, pushing at me with incredible force. Feels like it'll tear my ears right off, my, my sore noggin. I can barely stay upright. Wind like that, storm wind, doesn't carry scent. It obliterates it. Help! Help us! It's a tiny, desperate voice. Maybe even Ruby's voice. Kudzu. I pick my way through the debris, trying to lock on the sound. It ain't easy. Please help us. Climbing over the remains of the wall, the one I was sitting on, on what seems like moments ago, I find myself at the bank of the moat. Ruby? I call at the top of my lungs. Uncle Bob! The sound of my name cuts through the gloom like a shaft of sun, Ruby runs to the opposite edge of the water. She's maybe eight feet away, but I can barely make out, make her out in the torrential rain. You stay there, I yell, trying to be heard over the wind. I'll come to you. I follow the bank until I come to a spot where several chunks of wall have tumbled in the, into the water. Three careful leaps and I'm across. Ruby runs to greet me. She wraps her mud-coated trunk around my neck, and boy, oh boy, am I happy to see that sweet little elephant. You hurt, Ruby? I ask. Is everything all right? Ruby sniffles, "'Yes, but come quick.' She dashes off before I can ask anything more. Five of Ruby's aunts stand by the elephant side of the moat. Each one has her trunk plunged deep in the dark, muddy water. They look like a bunch of kids trying to find a lost toy in a swimming pool. It's almost funny. What I see, until I see what they're reaching for, a baby gorilla in the moat. The tiny gal keeps grabbing for a trunk to hold on to, then slipping free. Her terrified screeches fill the air. It's Kudzu, Ivan's favorite. An idea. I'm going in, says Masika, one of the younger aunts. Might make things worse, Akilo cautions. Displace the mud. Pull her down towards the bottom. I could go in, I suggest. The word's popping out before I can swallow them. It's more mud than water, Bob. Akilo shakes her head. You'll get stuck as Kudzu. I don't exactly argue the point. I've got an idea, comes a small voice. All the aunties turn to Ruby, and she looks startled to have their complete attention. A couple of us get on the other side of the moat, Ruby says. Grab trunks. We'll make like a, what do you call it? A sling, I exclaim. A hammock, like the gorillas have. I don't know, Ruby. Akelo sounds doubtful. Kudzu grabs for Masika's trunk with both hands. Wait! Masika says. I think I've got her this time. Masika lifts her trunk with deliberate slowness, slowness, carefully, trying to support the baby gorilla. But once again, Kudzu can't hold on. She's let out a despairing cry. Down she goes, lower this time, her nose and eyes just visible. Okay, Akila says with a nod at Ruby. Let's give her Ruby's idea a try. Masika, Laheli, Elodi, cross over to the far side. Zaina, Ruby and I will take this side. All three elephants move with surprising quickness to the spot where I crossed. They gallop back until they're facing us. It's strange to see them on the other side of the moat. With the wall destroyed, they're technically in Ivan and Kinyani's domain. Move down a bit, Akilo instructs. That way, she motions with her head. We want to scoop her out, not push her down. Three on each side, three three on one side, three on the other. The elephants reach out for each other's trunks, creating a kind of cradle. Okay now, says Akilo, lower carefully. Down they go into the muddy water. Ruby nearly loses her footing, so I grab her tail with my teeth. Doesn't really help, and she helps. ouch, but my heart's in the right place. Kudzu thrashes her tiny arms. Stay calm, I call, easy for me to say. She looks over at me, and I'll never forget the fear in her dark eyes. Then she vanishes below the surface. Team Elephant. Hurry, Ruby cries. The elephants bend lower, moving like a giant elephant shovel where is she? Masika asks. Lower, says Akilo. Lower, sisters. There, Ruby yells. No, wait, there. Up, Akilo commands, and the interlocked trunks rise from the muddy water to reveal a tiny, trembling baby gorilla sitting in their makeshift sling. Kudzu, says Akilo. Stay calm, baby. We're going to toss you to safety, okay? Kudzu gives a little nod. On my count, says Akilo. Start swinging. One, two, three. Up and over go the trunks, and up and over goes Kudzu. She lands with a little plop on the gorilla side of the moat, right next to Masika's rear legs. "'Good work, everyone,' says Akilo, "'and good thinking, Ruby.' "'Thanks, elephants,' says Kudzu, wiping blood from her eyes. "'That was fun. Can we do it again?' Akilo takes a deep breath. "'Maybe later, sweetheart.' Quickly, I make my way over over the moat. "'Kudzu, I say, follow me. Let's go find your eight peeps.' "'Can I go with Bob?' Ruby asks Akilo. Akilo touches Ruby's back with her trunk. "'I'd much rather you stay here, dear.' and it's, may I? But Uncle Ivan, Ruby pleads. I'll keep an eye on her, I tell Akilo. I'm going, Ruby says in her most determined voice. Maybe I can help. I helped just now. Akilo hesitates, but finally gives a slow nod. Probably she figures there's no arguing with Ruby. She's right on that one. Ruby crosses the moat, joins Kudu kudzu and me. Be careful, Akilo warns. There's more of this storm coming. I got her, Akilo. I say. You better have her, she warns. I think I flew, Bob, says Kudzu, as we weave our way through the wasteland that was Gorilla World. Yeah, me too, I said. It's that kind of day. What's out there? A handful of humans, firefighters and police mostly, have begun to roam the grounds, checking out the damage. We pass a park employee with a weapon slung over his shoulder and a net in one hand. Trank gun, he tells a passing police officer. We don't know what's out there. She nods. How fast do they work? On something like a big cat? He shakes his head. Not fast enough. I look over at Ruby. Stay close, kid. As we near the gorilla villa, what's left of it anyways, a screech hits my ears that makes the wailing wailing police sirens sound like mew, mewling kittens. It's Kenyani. She's frantically knuckle running back and forth near the collapsed gorilla villa, Chunks of cement, shredded wooden beams, and bent metal lie everywhere. A cluster of gorilla females and juveniles huddled not fa- huddle not far from where, not far from some rescue workers. There's Mama Kudzu cries, dashing toward a gorilla named Jody. I'm so horrified by the destruction that I've almost forgotten my muddy little charge. I really shouldn't be trusted with as an ape-sitter. Kudzu darts over to her mother's waiting embrace. Jody nuzzles her and stru- strokes her head. "'Strokes her and says soothingly, soothing motherly gorilla things. "'Thank you,' Jody mouths to me. "'Don't thank me,' I say, looking over at Ruby. "'Thank this little gal. She figured out how to save Kudzu. "'Thank you. Ruby, isn't it Ivan's friend?' "'Ruby gives a shy nod. We all helped. "'I provided moral support,' I add. "'I flew, Mama,' says Kudzu. "'Of course you did, dear,' says Jody. Kenyani's fresh wails focus my mind.' I gotta go. I say, Ruby, you should stay here. I'm going for a no-nonsense voice, the one Julia uses on me when she calls me Robert. Let me see what's what. I'll be right back. No way, Uncle Bob, Ruby f- replies just as firmly. I give up. But what? But I'm afraid of what she might see, of what we both might see. Any sign of Ivan? I ask Jody. She shakes her head, a grim look clouding her eyes. With Ruby by my side, we approach the pile of wreckage that used to be the Gorilla Villa. At the same moment, Ruby and I gasp. There's Ivan's hand, barely peeking through the rubble.